Love, good morning. Welcome to our Aliyah day. Glad that everyone is uh, with me and doing well. I pray you're doing well anyway. Pray that you're having a great, wonderful, and amazing day. It has been um, bright and sunny here in the uh, Saginaw area, North Fort Worth. Kind of cool, actually, for this time of year. Not that you needed a weather report, but I'm giving it to you. It's amazing. The weather is fine. Jump on in. Glad you're here with me this morning, Baruch Hashem, and uh, we're going to jump right into, speaking of jumping in, jump right into Parashah Naso, the third Aliyah of the day, or of the week rather, I should say, not of the day, but of the week. It's, and so, we find ourselves in uh, chapter 5, capitulo 5, verso 1, and page 751. <clears throat> and so, let us read the passage here, and then we will get right to the uh, insights, some things we want to share, um, even a few things that were left over from day from yesterday uh, that we didn't get a chance to get to, and then some really wonderful insights today about uh, converts and how Hashem feels about converts. Just some more reinforcement there, and it's it 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 comes up because our passage today. Uh, is interpreted to be speaking about the proselytes. And so therefore, our sages of old uh, bring this up in the Midrash. So it says, Adonai spoke to Moshe saying, Command the children of Israel that they shall expel from the camp everyone with Zarat, everyone who has had a Zav emission, and everyone contaminated by human corpse. Male and female alike shall you expel to the outside of the camp. Shall you expel them so shall so, so that rather they should not contaminate their camps among which I dwell. The children of Israel did so. They expelled them to the outside of the camp as Adonai had spoken to Moshe. So did the children of Israel do. Verse five. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, a man or woman who commits any man's sins by committing treachery towards Adonai, and that person shall become guilty. They shall confess their sins that they contaminate, that they com committed, Slika, they committed. Incidentally, confession of sins is considered to be an essential part of making teshuva. It is, it's, this is why we have the vidui during um, those times we're making tshuva, especially during the Rosh Hashanah service and most especially during the Yom Kippur service. We actually stand up together and we confess out loud. Confession out loud is important. It does not have to be done in front of a man, uh, it, but, it, it has, uh, but it should be done, I should say, in front of Hashem. Having said that, I will tell you that um, when people are going through struggles and they are come, uh, battling certain maybe temptations or sins or, or whatever it is, it's very good to be able to counsel with someone, perhaps your rabbi, uh, if, and, and maybe if you don't feel comfortable, perhaps a, a good fellow Jew a good fellow Lapidnik who is a, a confidant, somebody you can trust. 
And it's very powerful to just sit down with that person and confess to them that you're struggling with this or you're struggling with that. And uh, people have found, and even myself from time to time when this has happened, have found that the very confession like that is 60 to 80% of the battle. 60 per 80 percent. It's it's amazing. It's a very powerful phenomenon. 60 to 80 percent of the struggle is defeated, is 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 won. The victory is accomplished just in sitting down with somebody and saying, you know, this is what I've been dealing with. So therefore, it's no surprise that we find in the in the Torah Hashem telling us to confess those sins. There is a reason why he says confess. Anyway, just want to bring that up because it's very, very important. So they shall confess their sins that they committed, and he shall make restitution for his guilt in its principal amount and add its fifth to it and give it to the one to whom he is indebted. If the man has no kinsman to whom the debt can be returned. Now this phrase here, if the man has no kinsman, the rabbis interpret this to be talking about the convert. Because they deduce that it would be very unlikely for a Jew not to have any kinsmen. But it would be very likely for a, a convert to not have any kinsmen. Because you have to understand something, the way the Jewish mind thinks. That when someone converts to Judaism, they become a Jew in every single respect. 100%. It's a complete transformation. It's the ultimate makeover. It is uh, the person becoming a a new creation. This is where the phrase new creation comes from. It's not an invention of Christianity. New creation is a Jewish term referring to conversion. Therefore, when Paul uses this phrase, you become a new creature in Messiah, he is... He is referring to conversion. So when people say, Paul did not convert people, my reply to that, well, that's very odd since he constantly uses conversion lingo all the time. You're a newborn babe. You're like, you're, you're, you're born again. You're like a new creation. Those are all, that's all conversion lingo from Judaism. So if you're going about not converting people, it's really odd that you continually use conversion lingo. Makes sense? I know it does, because y'all are intelligent people. Somebody was asking me yesterday, they, they were trying to make a point. <clears throat> and they said, uh, well, you know, and it's odd this person, that they don't, uh, it was actually somebody um, at the um, downtown. So they said, um, well, you know, uh, Ruth, was a Moabite. And I said, yeah, she was a Moabite. And he said, well, I said, she became a Jew. And she, the, the person said, well, she was still a Moabite. I said, nope, no, she wasn't. The moment she became a Jewish, she was no longer a Moabite. And they seem confused by that, but it's not, it's not, it wasn't, it's understandable because this person I was talking to, whom I was speaking, was a Christian person. And I said, well, if she's still a Moabite, then you can't have King David. In fact, you would have no Messiah because Mashiach cannot come from the Goyim. So it was, a, it was an awakening for this person. So anyway, so this is talking about the proselyte. So going back to this 
topic here. Therefore, when a proselyte becomes a Jew, they become 100% a new creation. And they have legally, ostensibly, no kinsmen. Now, naturally, they, they, they would presumably have a father and mother, unless their mother and mother passed away. And the sages did teach that a, a non-Jew, even though they become a, a Jew 100% at conversion, they still have a responsibility to honor their father and mother, even though their father and mother are not Jews. Uh, having said that, this is, this is why, why the rabbi said they don't have any kinsmen, because uh, they're converts. So this is now applying to them. And Rabbi Monk brings down, and we're going to be talking about how Hashem loves the convert, but Rabbi Monk brings down that that it, basically he sums it up by saying, in fact, let me just read his, his sentence here so I don't misquote him. He, he's talking about, uh, he's actually referring to the Midrash Rabbah, he, he was actually referring to, I should say, the Midrash Rabbah um, in his comments, but he doesn't quote it because it's a very long passage. He doesn't quote all of it, so I went and looked it up myself. It's very f- fascinating. But anyway, he, he says, in short, whereas a contaminated Jew, which is what our passage is talking about here, whereas a contaminated Jew must be sent away from the camp, the convert must be drawn closer. So, <clears throat> as I've said many, many times, if you've listened to me any length of time, and by the way, one of our dear sisters is on a vacation right now, Celia. She's on a vacation right now. And she is on a uh, on a cruise. God love her. Um, uh, uh, she's actually working. It's it's her boss that's on the cruise, and uh, she takes care of uh, her boss uh, as her assistant or whatever. And so as a result, she gets to go on the cruise because of that. So that's a that's a blessing, isn't that awesome? So anyway, she's cruising around Ireland and Scotland, and so. Uh, she made a comment yesterday that she was listening from somewhere in the Northern Sea. And I just think that's marvelous and fascinating and awe-inspiring that technology is such today that the Aliyah day is being heard on a ship somewhere off the coast of Ireland. And isn't that ridiculous? It's amazing. Wow. By the way, if anybody would like to send me and my wife <clears throat> on a cruise to Ireland or Scotland, we accept. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, where was I? All right, so uh, the man who has no king kinsman to whom the debt can be returned, the re, the return debt is for Adonai, for the Kohen, aside from the ram of atonement with which he shall provide him atonement. Verse 9, and every portion from any of the holies that the children of Israel bring to the Kohen shall be his. A man's holy shall be his. And what a man gives to the Kohen shall be his. Amen. End of our, uh, uh, the, the reading portion, any, any way of our Aliyah. So we're going to get to some insights. As I said, we're going to read from the um, Midrash Rabbah here in just a moment. But let me just pull, uh, pull up a couple of quotes from Rabbi Monk I wanted to share with you. Let's see. Uh, so we have here um, uh, the first comment I want to share from Rabbi Monk is he's talking about the different levels of contamination, the different levels of the of the camp. The camp was divided into three levels. You had the 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 camp of the 
spirit of God, the camp of the Shekinah of God, which was um, which was actually the tabernacle itself. Then you had the camp of the Levites, and you had the camp of the Israelites. And so he's talking about the different levels of contamination, and he brings down that a human corpse contamination would exclude a person from the innermost camp, that is the camp of the Shekinah itself, the camp of the spirit. So if you were contaminated by a corpse, you were you were uh, not allowed, you were, you were um, not some, someone upon whom the Spirit of God could rest. Let me, let me put it that way. Now, when I read that, I immediately thought about Cornelius and his family. Because in the first century, there was a concept that Gentiles were like a corpse, which is why the rabbis had developed um, customs and laws that would forbid a Jew from going into their house because you're not allowed to be in a covered environment with a corpse lest you become contaminated. So therefore, if you go into a Gentile's home and they are considered like a like contamination like unto a corpse, then you can see the correlation. The idea was you become contaminated. This is why when the centurion came to the Mashiach, and the Mashiach, he asked the Mashiach to come and heal his servant. Mashiach ostensibly got up to go with the, um, the centurion. And the man said, I am not a man worthy that you should come into my house. He understood the rules. And so Kepha was told by the Ruach HaKodesh to go to Cornelius. Do not hesitate to go with him. We're talking here about Acts chapter 10. And the reason that the Spirit of God had to tell Kepha to go and don't hesitate to go is because Kepha would have hesitated to go because he wasn't sure what the halakha was. Was it okay for him to go to a non-Jew's house or not? Now, you have to understand something. In our modern times, we, we sometimes don't have clarity on this. But you have to understand that a non-Jewish person in the first century, when you walk to their house, their house is a house of idols. Their house is going to have idols everywhere. My wife and I, were when we were looking to buy our home, the, the one in which we live now, we looked at a lot of houses. Oh my gosh, so many houses. Anyway, we went to this one house, and it was obviously owned by an idolater, clearly. And I don't mean that, I'm talking about an actual idolater. Because they weren't home, the people weren't home, so I have no idea who they were. But the realtor took us in. The realtor is a, a realtor is great. He's a Christian guy, but great. And um, anyway, walked into the house, and you walk into the front. There was an idol in every room. I mean, a literal idol. We're talking about not just decoration. I'm not talking here. The decoration would be bad enough, but I'm not. I'm not talking about they went to a Hobby Lobby and got an idol. I'm talking about that these are actually. Uh, idols, you could clearly, it was, it was obvious that they, they, they considered them idols and so on. And there was an idol in every room of the house, literally in every room, even the bathrooms. And, and uh, as soon as I walked into the house, I, I felt something odd. You could feel like, like that oppression, like, you know, like heaviness in your chest. And then we started seeing the idols and we realized. So we kind of Walked around the house for literally a, a couple of, like maybe a minute, maybe a couple of minutes perhaps, I'm not, maybe. 
And my wife and I were just like, you know, we got to get out of here. I mean, really. And our realtor, bless his heart, he was he was like, what? You don't like the house? It's not what you're looking for? No problem. I mean, you know, we can look for something. I said, actually, it's not so much the house. It's what's in it. And then we had a, we left the house and we explained to him and he got it. But anyway, um, so when you go to the house of, a, of an idolater in the first century, this is what's going on. You're going to a house of idolatry. So he had to tell him, so he went. So it says here that someone who's contaminated by by a corpse, he cannot go to the camp of the Shekinah. So therefore, the best way in which God could express the Kepha to listen, I don't consider the Goyim to be like walking corpses. In fact, I want you to preach to them. I want you to be a light to them. I want you to teach them the Torah. And in order to illustrate to you that I do not consider them like corpses, I'm going to cause my Shekinah to fall upon them. To teach you that they're not corpses. Why? Because someone who's contaminated by a corpse cannot have the camp of the Shekinah on them. You see? So it's a very beautiful picture. So um, another quote here from Rabbi Monk I just want to point out. Very interesting insight because we're talking here, at, at, at least in part in this section, about theft and and then confession. So it says, It is not surprising that the duty of confession is introduced by the Torah with reference to the act of stealing. For indeed, every sin is a theft. I love that. I love that thought. Every sin is a theft either against men or against Hashem. So when we are, uh, God forbid, sinning or we commit a sin, we have to understand that it is as if we have uh, committed a theft, either against Hashem or against God. We have taken something that does not belong to us. Right? We have taken something that is not ours. Now, going to the Midrash Rabbah. Midrash Rabbah Naso 8.2. The rest of our comments today, until we run out of time, are going to be about the convert. Because uh, the Midrash Rabbah speaks extensively about the convert with respect to this passage. So first and foremost, Midrash Rabbah Naso 8.2. Much of what I'm going to say today is going to be really confirmation, a reiteration of what I've said in years past, but this is just yet another wonderful source. So, it says, As it is stated, you caused a vine to journey out of Egypt. You expelled nations and implanted it. That's Psalms 80 and verse 9. So, it says, And so do you find that just as there is a passage written in the Torah regarding a situation that arises between a born Israelite and his fellow born Israelite, which, teach it, which, which teaches that if one commits a treachery against the other, he is obligated to bring an offering, as it says, as it is stated, if a person will sin and commit treachery against Adonai by lying to his fellow. That is from Leviticus 5.21. So did the Holy One, blessed be he, write a passage in the Torah regarding a situation that arises between born Israelites and proselytes, which teaches that if someone from the people of Israel robs a proselyte, that is a convert, he is judged as one who robbed a born Israelite. Thus we have learned 
that is to say, it has been proven, that the proselytes are primary, like the people of Israel. So I wanted to share that little tidbit because it's further proof of the Jewish idea that proselytes themselves are considered 100% equivalent uh, to Jews. There is not a, um, a, a, a distinction um, between the two. Uh, they're, they're Jews in every respect. So the Midrash continues, and it says, um, talking about a psalm that says, God loves the righteous. It says, the Holy One, blessed be He, loves the proselyte very much. What is this matter com- to, to what is this matter comparable? Now, I love this parable I'm about to read to you. And so it says, let me just back up. The Holy One, blessed be He, loves the proselyte very much. To what is this matter comparable? He says, to a king who had a flock of goats, it would go out to graze in the field by day and return in the evening. So it was each day. One time a deer returned with the flock. It went to be with the goats of the flock and it would graze with them. And when the goats of the flock would return to the fold, the deer would return with them. When the goats of the flock would go out to graze, the deer would go out with them. The king's servants told the king, This deer has joined itself to the goats of the flock, and it grazes with them. Every day it goes out with them and returns with them. And the king loved this deer very much. When it would go out to graze in the field, the king would command his shepherd, Let it graze pleasantly on its own will. Let no man hit it, that is, let no man force it to graze here or force it to graze there. You know, like, don't tell it it can't obey the Torah. Be careful with it. And also, when it would come in with the flock, the king would say to his servants, give it water and let it drink. And he loved it very much. His servants said to his master, you have so many he-goats. You have so many lambs. You have so many kid-goats. And you do not caution us about any of them. But regarding this deer, you give us orders every day. Why is that? The king replied to them, The flock, whether it wants to or not, such is its nature, to graze in the field all day and to come back in the evening and sleep with the fold. The deer, however, normally sleeps in the wilderness. It is not their nature to come into a human settlement. Shall we not accord it merit to this deer? who has left the vast and large wilderness, the place where all the beasts live, and has come and stood, that is, remained in my courtyard? So too, are we not required to accord merit to the proselyte, who has left his family in his father's house, has left his nation and all the nations of the world, and has come to to be near us, that is, the Jewish people. It is for this reason that God granted increased protection for the proselyte and that he warned the people of Israel that they should wash themselves when they deal with the proselytes, that they do not harm the proselytes. And so does the scripture say, you shall love the proselyte, Devarim 10, 19. And it further says, you shall not taunt or oppress the proselyte, Exodus twenty two twenty. 20. 
And just as the Torah obligated one who robs his fellow Israelite and swears falsely to make a payment of money and bring an offering of a ram of atonement, so did the Torah obligate one who robs the proselyte to pay him back his money and bring an offering of ram atonement. For so it is written in our passage, Speak to the children of Israel a man or a woman who shall commit any of man's sins. He shall make restitution for his guilt. It is a principal amount and its fifth he shall add to it aside from the ram atonement. And this scriptural passage is stated regarding one who robs a proselyte. Thus it is written, Adonai protects the proselyte, Psalm 146.9, meaning that he increased their protection so that they should not revert to their original disposition as non-Jews. He increased their protection so that they should not revert back to their original disposition as non-Jews. And so the, the Midrash discusses further uh, God's love for proselytes. It says, How precious are proselytes before God! For throughout Scripture, He compares them to those born by the, of, of the people of Israel. God compares the proselyte as a born Jew. And it says, As it is stated, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom, you, whom I have chosen, offspring of Abraham who loved me. Now, the footnote here, it says the Midrash understands the name Jacob in this verse to be alluding to the proselytes. Now, some, one of the objections that I've heard from, from um, this usually comes from the Messianic or the Hebrew Roots community, is they say, well, to be a Jew, you have to be uh, one of the tribes of Jacob. Um, or Jacob himself, right? Because Jacob was called Israel, which is, uh, of course, not true because Judaism uh, understands that Abraham was the first Jew, but I digress. But according to the Midrash here, proselytes are Jews because when the scripture refers to Jacob or the con con congregation of Jacob, it understands, it's, as it says, that Jacob is used in this verse as alluding to the proselytes. So another... Um, few comments here about proselytes being equivalent to born Jews, as we read in the, uh, the Midrash Shabbat. It says, the term love is re stated regarding Israel as it says, I loved you, says Adonai, Mal Malachi 1-2. And the term love is similarly stated regarding proselytes as it says, and God loves the proselyte to give him bread and a garment, Devarim 10-18. The people of Israel are called God's servants, as it said, for the children of Israel are servants to me, Leviticus 25-55. And proselytes are similarly called God's servants, as it says, and the foreigner who joins themselves to Adonai to serve him and to love the name of Adonai to become servants unto him, Isaiah 56.6. The term favor is stated regarding Israel, as it says, and it should be on his forehead always to bring them favor before Adonai, Exodus 28.38. And the term favor is similarly stated regarding the proselyte, as it says, their election offering and their peace offerings will find favor on my altar, Isaiah 56, 7. The term service is stated regarding Israel, as it says, and you will be called priests of Adonai, servants of our God will, you, will be said of you, 61, 6. And the term service is similarly regarded proselytes, as it says, and the foreigner who join themselves to me, the term protection 
is stated regarding Israel as it says, Adonai is your protector, Psalm 121.5. And the term protection is stated regarding the proselytes as it says, Adonai protects proselytes. And so do you find with respect to the four groups that will stand before the omnipresent in the Messianic era, that proselytes are equivalent with born Israelites. How do we know? As it is stated, this one shall say, I am Adonai, and the other will call himself by the name of Jacob. This one will sign his allegiance to Adonai and adopt the name of Israel, Isaiah 44, 5. The verse is referring to four distinct groups. This one will say, I am Adonai. This refers to one who is completely dedicated to the omnipresent, that is, somebody who has no sin with his deeds. And the other one will call himself by the name of Jacob. This, reserves to, this refers to the righteous proselyte. This one will sign his allegiance to Adonai. This reserve, refers, rather, to the penitent. And adopt the name of Israel. This reserves, refers excuse me, to those who have a fear of heaven. Thus we have learned that proselytes are as precious to God as Israelites. And one final thing as we conclude today. It says in the Midrash Shabbat, This in our passage is to be understood in light of that which is written. For I honor those who honor me. Remember how Yeshua said, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. I want you to think about that as I read this passage. It says, I honor those who honor me, and those that scorn me will be disgraced, from 1 Samuel 2.30. It has been taught, Rabbi Yehose said, whoever honors the Torah is himself honored by people, and whoever disgraces the Torah is himself disgraced by people. For it is stated, for I honor those who honor me, and those that scorn me, will be disgraced. I will confess, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. That's confirmation of that, and it's also confirmation of the reality that the Torah of God and God are one and the same. End of our Aliyah today. Have a blessed, magnificent, marvelous, and wonderful day. If you're just now joining us on the Aliyah, I pray that you're being blessed. Thank you for being here. And uh, with God's help, we'll be back tomorrow for the fourth Aliyah of the week. And until then, be happy, be awesome, be blessed. We'll see you then. Shalom, shalom.